Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would exalt the Lord Jesus in our hearts, in our minds, in our mouths, in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Over the past few weeks, we've been following the progress of the early church in these opening chapters of Acts. And so far, it's all been plain sailing, a walk in the park. And perhaps like me, you're wishing that you were living there and then, experiencing these things as they happened. Or maybe uh, perhaps you're wondering why things aren't like this now. So just think of what we've seen up to this point. The risen Jesus has trained his apostles at getting them ready for their mission to Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The believers have been praying and preparing together, waiting for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when he was poured out, he gave power to proclaim the prophesied Saviour and 3,000 became believers. Then we had the picture of the bliss of the early church devoted to the apostles' teaching, uh, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And they were enjoying the favour of all the people in Jerusalem. We're told every day there were new people being saved. Amazingly wonderful days. And last week, we watched the beautiful miracle at the beautiful gate which pointed to the beautiful saviour who promises a beautiful future. Wouldn't it be great if it was like this all the time? Well, it would, but it's not. Church life is wonderful, but with it comes problems and disagreements and even opposition. And Luke, as he writes this book, presents these things as they happened, warts and all. So even though it appears that everything had been plain sailing up to this point, there may be trouble ahead. You see, many people hear and receive and believe the message of Jesus, but not everybody does. And often, it's the very religious who are the strongest opponents to the message of Jesus. That's what we'll see today as we focus in on this dispute over the name of Jesus. And as you'll see on page 1095 in the Pew Bibles, it follows on immediately from the passage that we looked at last week. Uh, So in in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John had healed a crippled man who was begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And then they used that as a way to proclaim the beautiful saviour, Jesus, who promises a beautiful future. A crowd had gathered to listen at people who recognised the man who used to beg, who was now walking and leaping and praising God. And some others were drawn to the crowd as well. We see who they are there in verse 1. 
of chapter 4. Look at it with me. It says, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. Now, what did they think of Peter's teaching? Were they pleased to see this miracle and to hear about God's beautiful Saviour? Not quite. You see, it continues, they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They were greatly disturbed. They didn't like it at all. The Sadducees, they were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection at all. They said, this life is all there is. Yet the apostles were proclaiming, not just resurrection in general, but in Jesus, the resurrection of the dead. They didn't like the doctrine, and they definitely didn't like hearing the name of that troublemaker all over again. The one that they had made sure was crucified a few weeks before. So they seize Peter and John. They put them in jail for the night. Yet even the sight of the apostles being led away in handcuffs doesn't stop people believing. And there are now 5,000 men who believe, women and children above and beyond that perhaps. And so the next day the rulers, elders and teachers of the law assemble. We hear some of those who are present, names familiar from the trial that condemned Jesus, Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, all their family, and the other members of the Sanhedrin. And when Peter and John are brought in, here's the question that is asked of them, verse 7. Look at it with me. By what power or what name did you do this? How did you do it? This man had been crippled from birth. He's now over 40 years old. He hadn't walked a day in his life. And now here he is walking and leaping and praising God. How did you do it? In whose name did you do it? And once again, as we've seen in the book of Acts, Peter doesn't hold back. Remember that this is the group of men who condemned Jesus to death a few weeks before. These are the most powerful religious people in the land. And notice that Luke tells us that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Here is what he says. Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple, and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He doesn't miss them and hit the wall. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He's saying, do you remember him just a few weeks before? You crucified him, you put him to death, but God raised him from the dead. 
And then Peter quotes from Psalm 118, except he applies it personally to these religious leaders. You see, the original text that says, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. But you see in verse 11 how he has changed that, how he has applied it to them. He says he is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. It's a picture from a building site. But don't think of uniform bricks. Think more of the the rough stones in a a dry stone wall in the morns, for example. And there's this particular stone which is rejected by the builders. They, they, They can't see a use for it. It just doesn't seem to fit in anywhere. And so they they throw it aside, they reject it. But actually it turns out to be just the exact fit to finish the whole building off. To fit everything together perfectly. And that's what the leaders had thought of Jesus. They had heard him teach. They had carefully examined him. And then they rejected him and crucified him. But actually Jesus is the one who completes God's plans and purposes in the world. He is the one who is the capstone. Why? Because salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the capstone because he is the only saviour. No one else will save you. Nothing else will save you. Only Jesus. No other name. No other saviour. Jesus alone. I wonder, are you convinced of that? Are you sure of that? See, it means that other religions will not save. Only Jesus. So are you trusting in Jesus alone for your salvation? And if not, why not? Now, so far, every time Peter has proclaimed a similar message in Acts, we've seen people come to repentance and faith. But this time, it's different. This time, there is no revival, no repentance, just opposition. Notice what Luke tells us about what happened next at verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Do you see how they describe Peter and John when they look at them in the dock? 
unskilled, ordinary men. They weren't highly educated. They hadn't been to Oxford or Cambridge or even Queen's. They hadn't been to theological college. They were rough fishermen from Galilee. And yet they had courage. How brave to stand in the very place with the very people who had condemned Jesus and tell them that Jesus is their only hope of salvation. But what made the difference? Remember a few weeks ago when Jesus was in that very place, Peter denied that he knew Jesus to a slave girl. And yet here he is just a few weeks later proclaiming Jesus to the very people who condemned Jesus to death. What was the difference? They had been with Jesus and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. The leaders are in a bit, uh, uh, sorry, are in a bit of a pickle. You see, they don't want to accept Peter's message, but the man who was healed is standing in front of them. There was nothing they could say. And so they order Peter and John out while they confer together on their response. And so they ask each other, what are we going to do with these men? You see, everyone knows that they've done an outstanding miracle. We, we can't deny that. But neither do they want to believe. And they don't want it going any further. So verse 17, here is their plan. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. They want to nip it in the bud. Speak no longer in this name and they think that this will stop it from spreading and so they bring in Peter and John and verse 18 that commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus stop talking about Jesus stop insisting that Jesus is the only saviour stop sharing the good news that's what they said that day. And doesn't it sound remarkably like society around us today? Stop talking about Jesus. You see, it's not very politically correct to insist that Jesus is the only saviour. It goes against at the prevailing mood of secularism and pluralism, where every opinion and every outlook is equally valid and equally true. And it's nonsense. You see, to stop speaking in the name of Jesus is to stop people from being saved because he is our only hope. That's what Peter and John say. 
Verse 19, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Following Jesus and engaging in his mission to the ends of the earth will sometimes mean that we face opposition. People will try to silence us. They don't want to hear the message themselves and they don't want others to hear the message either. But it is right to obey God rather than people. And the good news, it it just comes out. Peter and John say, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. There was nothing special about Peter and John. They were unschooled, ordinary men who had been with Jesus and filled with his spirit and given courage to speak out to share the good news of Jesus and the power of his name. What about us? Are we convinced that there is no other name by which we must be saved? Are we convinced that other people need to hear the name of Jesus? Will we speak up? Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus is our Saviour. We pray, Father, that you would give us courage to share that good news, to share the name of Jesus, even in the face of opposition. Lord, we ask for your help, your strength, your courage, and we ask it in the powerful name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.